0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to another bald movie. This one is uh, one of our prestige films in the prestige uh, feed collection. It's Road to Perdition. It's a 2002 crime drama directed by Sam Mendes. You might uh, recognize him as the director of American Beauty, um, as, as well as many others. I'm drawing a blank. 1917 is <laughs> his most recent. There you go. Yeah. 1917 that we liked. We, we, we like quite a bit. Uh, screenplays by David Self, who wrote The Haunting in 13 Days, which I actually really enjoyed. It's based on the graphic novel Road to Perdition by Max Allen Collins. And it stars Tom Hanks, Paul Newman, and one of his final uh, in, in-person in roles. Tyler Hoechlin, uh, 14-year-old Tyler Hoechlin, who has now uh, got everybody a buzz with his uh, turn as Superman on the the new Superman re- re- reboot on CW. or. Hmm. I don't know, uh, paramount TV, whatever the fuck, uh, Jude law, Jennifer, Jason Lee, Stanley, he's Gucci, Tucci, Daniel Craig, mm-hmm. and Siren Hines. Uh, so this movie was dedicated to Conrad Hall, who was the cinematographer behind cool hand, Luke, butch Cassidy and a Sundance kid, American beauty. And as well as this film, uh, and it was dedicated to him cause he died shortly after, Uh, and won a posthumous Oscar for the cinematography in this film, which I'm going to be talking a lot about. Um, So I've seen this movie before. This was one of, like, baby's first prestige films. Um, I really liked Tom. Like, this is back in the day where, like, I really didn't see a lot of rated R movies, especially at the theater, but I really liked Tom Hanks. You know, I always enjoyed his work growing up. I loved him in Big. He had just done Castaway. You know, the PG-13 film that I was kind of allowed to watch uh, (laughs) just two years before. And him as a kind of bad guy, gangster, uh, talked Mm -hmm. me into going and seeing this film. And it kind of really blew me away. Uh, And I have not seen it since I went to see it at the movie theater. So it's been about 20 years. Uh, What about you, Jim? Uh, What have you seen this movie before? And what do you think of it? No, I've never seen it before. Um, This came
1: out in, what, two thousand. 3 2002 2 2 mm-hmm. uh it's weird to me because yeah uh, well i like what you said about it being kind of you know baby's first prestige film it it has that like 90s feel to me like 90s prestige mm. feel and i i don't know it's like a it's got like a spielberg feel to it there there's something like very high production very like well made but not very challenging about this movie it's like, hmm. well, it's got the central theme of, you know, this, and we seem to be covering this a lot with the boxer uh, last week, which, which it is, is like this theme of violence passed down, right? And it, that's not a super challenging theme. It's, it's nothing like lighthouse or, <laughs> I, I don't know, the shit that they're making today that you consider prestige is like yeah night and day uh compared to this stuff so it's got like that veneer of 90s feel to it even though it's made in the 2000s which to me made it good but not great and maybe if i had seen Mm -hmm. it back then i would have been more blown away by it i do agree that like seeing tom hanks as a bad guy i can think of very few movies where that's the case um as as a matter of fact i'm drawing a blank right now i can't think of any Mm -hmm. uh other movies where i've seen tom hanks play anything but kind of a wholesome guy pretty much all around. Um, so that was different. That was enjoyable. And I always like seeing Paul Newman and the performance he gives in this is fantastic. Uh,
0: did, he's nominated. I'm not sure if he won an Oscar for supporting.
1: He he did not. No, he lost uh, okay. to Chris Cooper in adaptation this year. Um, but yeah, I, I thought, you know, it, it's a good movie. It has some small flaws, but not many. And everything else it's doing is done very competently and it looks great um and it sounds great this movie is technically really well executed
0: yeah i i think that that's um you when you say that it has this kind of weird uh late 90s early 2000s kind of prestige feels because now like these things were big business you know like lighthouse you mentioned i think had a budget under <laughs> 4 million dollars right right and it was just locking two dudes in a 10 by 10 room and having them throw a rager, uh, yeah. this $80 million. And, you know, everything was just like, I read, I read the, the making of this film and there's some just bonkers shit in it. Like, you know, they wanted to get this certain shot of a lake house and they wanted it to seem a certain way. And they shot it in like a, a nature preserve on the shore of Lake Michigan. And there just happened to be like a hundred year old foundation of a building left over. Uh, and they built a whole edit, they built a whole fucking house on that thing and shot the, you know, what, five minutes of film on it and then tore uh-huh. it down to leave it pristine. Wow. Uh, Sam Mendez location scouting found the, the perfect corner to stage a, ba- a bank heist, but everything was going in the wrong direction. They needed to take a left a right hand turn instead of a left hand turn. And it. Was didn't sit. So he had the set dressers go and reverse all the signage on the street. Uh, they had cars specially manufactured to reverse the driving, the steering wheel. Uh, and then they just shot it left to right and then flipped it. And it's like everything was like kind of like it, it feels, everything's kind of feels like it's assembled from the lab. Now, I think this paid off because I still mm-hmm. think, you know, this, this film won an Oscar for its cinematography. Yeah. Um this guy is a you know Conrad Hall is a, is a famed cinematographer. He's in the top 10 uh, f- c- uh cinematographers and in the International Cinematographer a- Association. Um and I was reading the like the way they got like I've really paid attention to to lighting because I've seen stuff shot in pitch black where it's garbage yeah and you know and it it doesn't really help when you have modern you know uh streaming services compressing it and stuff like that game of thrones that that i was trying trying not to bring yeah try not to bring that up but like i've seen like things where you can just barely tell what's going on and then you see something like uh uh uh, uh, the better call Saul, where they're really experimenting with new high super high aperture cameras and just what they're able to achieve where it looks like it's pitch black, but you can actually still see everything and this stuff where it's shot pitch black conditions, but also in like downpouring rain and yet everything still. So like I was looking, I could see the texture on the wool, the, this omnipresent wool coats that they're wearing. There's a mm-hmm. the water pouring off of it and stuff. And it's just like just beautiful. These these inky black scenes of hallways um, and yet everything's so crystal clear. And then another technique this guy used, I guess, um, in in shots of broad you know, daylight, you know, sunny scene, he would take black silk and drape it over the area they were filming. So it seemed like even in a bright, sunny day, the character like Tom Hanks character looks like he's personally overcast, like there is a <laughs> black cloud over him that I'd yeah. never really seen kind of te- techniques like that before. So it's like, yeah, this film might have been assembled in a lab um and it might lose a little bit of kind of the messiness that you see in maybe better um gangster films like the godfather like uh uh, uh goodfellas stuff like that but it's still just like you know in an every frame a painting kind of way um yeah. it's it just it's just really beautiful and uh you know we have for whatever reason watched a shit ton of gangster movies of late mm-hmm. I really like getting away from the Italian mafia and for once in a while, like these, uh, this, this Irish mob, um, this like late great depression, uh, late stage prohibition era. Um, you know, uh, the, the, the kind of dour and Midwestern it's it set in, um, ah, shit. I forget which, which, um, island on the border of, uh, Iowa and Illinois it is, but like, it's kind of Chicago adjacent Midwestern. Irish gangster very far, kind of Fargo feel like you know um, yeah, yeah. V- very reminiscent of the last season of Fargo actually
1: and I think all those and locations I, help too because like when you're shooting this thing you have to think okay how are we going to address these sets and you know you could take all the signage down and replace it with reversed signs and get the perfect bank shot or you can just go to downtown Chicago where 90% of the buildings still look like they did <laughs> the day
0: that they were built Uh, you you get a lot of mileage just setting it in those locations right yeah, and they did I, I there's an, a very impressive shot of Tom Hanks and his son driving into Chicago where they mm-hmm. shut down the main thoroughfare into Chicago, yeah, uh got hundred and forty studebaggers and model T's and yep. all these other and and you know, spared no expense of, of doing that that recreation. But but yeah, I, I like seeing kind of like the and in the same way that it's interesting seeing like, you know, Italian-American gangsters trying to, like, blend their heritages. They get into a little bit of that. It's never, like, the text, but it's subtext. You know, Mm -hmm. like, you can hear the faintest bit of, like, the Irish accent on these guys. And I guess Newman Newman. worked with an Irish-American poet uh to get that kind of because he's like I, I like that you can just just like the 10 percent irish brogue that's still still there and he tried to emulate that and you can tell and, and i think I don't it's don't different know. in the generations too right because i think he has right. maybe the most pronounced irish accent in the sure. entire movie mm-hmm.
1: uh even though it is slight and then tom hanks if he's doing one i can't tell
0: so it's more of a yeah tom hanks accent's more of a, like a midwestern chicagoan accent yeah. daniel craig who Does a fairly convincing American accent. I mean, Mm. he's kind of like, I mean, if you've seen him in uh, what was it, Knives Out? Like, he's got the (sighs) the foghorn leghorn. He's he's a man of a million American accents, apparently. (laughs) Sure, sure. Uh, And that's the other fun thing about this: seeing like all these people who you know, there's like Tom Hanks and Paul Newman already. You know, Paul Newman's a legend. Tom Hanks is on his way. Yeah. Um, Jude Law in some fairly early transition work for him uh, Jennifer Jason Lee which I haven't seen her in a lot of things but uh, you know, right. she's got a small role in this it, it's fun Daniel Craig playing just like a lunatic um, uh, like a, a, a sunny Corleone type of hothead, is is really fun um, yeah and it's a few yeah, years
1: before he would become Bond and I, I, I didn't really know who Daniel Craig was until he became Bond so seeing him in these mm-hmm. earlier roles uh, is always interesting just, just seeing, you know, because now I think of him as James Bond. I don't think of him as an actor uh, so much yeah. as the character. So, it, yeah, see, seeing different uh, gears that he has is pretty cool.
0: I think, and then the, the other thing is like the one theme you mentioned, like the the violence, you know, running through families and whatnot uh, as a yeah. theme. Uh, the father son. You know, generational struggle, I thought was really poignant. And, you know, uh now that I'm a father, it's been 20 years since I've seen this film, like uh-huh. the father son relationship of, of Tom Hanks and, and uh, uh, Tyler Hoachlin, Hocklin, maybe, uh, is it, it really hit. In fact, like I was very moved by the final 15 minutes of this film. I'd forgotten the ending, too. Um, I don't want to say much more because if there's, you know, this is this is nearing 20 year old film. And I know a lot of people probably haven't seen it. And, you know, if you want to see Tom Hanks, Paul Newman, one of his last roles where he got a, you know, an Oscar nomination, at least uh, as a supporting actor. I think it's the only one he uh, I think I remember reading at some point that that's the only Oscar he got nominated, not as a leading man. OK, uh, and he's he's very, very good in this film. Yeah. Uh, it's it's good. And like I said, the 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 final act, I thought was really good. There is one glaring flaw that I'll, I'll we'll definitely talk about, but yeah, if you haven't seen it, maybe now is the time to kind of like uh give you the basic outline of the movie. This is set as we alluded to in nineteen thirty one the winter of nineteen thirty one um in kind of like a rural sh- suburb of uh, northern uh uh Illinois set during the Great Depression in the middle of a prohibition. You've got the Rooney family who's this crime syndicate family that kind of rules the town uh he uh, uh paul newman is the 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 godfather of the family daniel craig is the son but he's also got like this tom hagen type of role going on a tom hanks uh where they's for whatever reason this guy's a war hero uh from world war 1s taken into the family there's been a rivalry between him and daniel craig they they just sketch and suggest all this stuff um but uh his son who's kind of like the POV of this, this whole movie is, you know, kind of idolizes his father, but doesn't have a good handle on him. And one night, um, you know, smuggles himself in the trunk of the car to go along with one of his, what he thinks is his dad's missions. He thinks his dad's like a GI man or a (laughs) Mm. secret servant agent or something. And, and sees a hit and, uh, Daniel Craig's character, the, the, the younger Rooney gets into his head that, you know, Tom Hanks and his son have to die as witnesses. The whole family has to. And that sets Tom Hanks, character, Mike, uh, on a collision course, Mike Sullivan with the collision course with the Roonies and whole, whole blood soaked uh, film lies ahead. Um, You mentioned it's interesting to see Tom Hanks as a heavy. And I remember thinking that, too, like I'd never seen him in something like this where he's just an unrepentant killer. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then I read like how much sanitized this character was from like the graphic novel, like the graphic novel, he's a alcoholic. The violence is even more wanton Uh and widespread. He's, he's much more of a, um, like a, a brutal killer. Whereas this, it's like, you get the idea that he's more of a a professional soldier who is very loyal to a man who is a father to him and thinks that, you know, he's probably, yeah, this is illegal, but you know, it's kind of business. Um, they tone down a lot of the, the the language and the violence from the comics, To So, like, yes, this is Tom Hanks playing a heavy, a bad guy, but he is still, you can tell, concerned about, like, I don't want to be that kind of guy. That's interesting, because um, the
1: whole conceit of this movie is you're supposed to ask yourself, is this a good guy or a bad guy? Right. Like, yeah. they start they book in the movie with the kid saying essentially that Um, he he was my father, right? And you can make your own judgments because he's not your father. That's weird to hear that it was a little more bad
0: guy tinged in the comics. I wonder what made them go that direction with this movie then. I guess it's it's Tom Hanks. He was like really adamant about like he wanted a certain, huh. he wanted to cut that. He wanted a violence to feel like it was always warranted in contrast to like the Daniel Craig character who is a loose cannon, in contrast to the Jude Law character who is yeah. uh, a psychopath. And I think about like Bruce Willis in this role, w- he, he would have just played the comic book character. For sure. Because uh, Bruce, like he plays mostly good guys, but he really doesn't give a shit about, you know, being uh painting in dark dark shades of gray like i think about his work on sin city and how yeah, like yeah. hard-boiled that was but tom hanks still is like a little bit yeah you know i, well, I might want to play mr rogers in a few years and wow. I, I don't want what a concession you know, to make to the lead actor <laughs> huh <laughs> well you know when you're paying 80 million dollars out and tom hanks is probably a good 15 percent of that yeah <laughs> you, you, you <laughs> right. probably you know he probably gets uh, gets a say in it yeah um But yeah, I, I, uh, they, they also something that shocked me is like Tom Hanks is wearing a prosthetic nose. You know, I thought
1: I detected that during the movie. It's Uh, very subtle. It is. Yeah. And I don't really understand why they would do that because it is so subtle and, but I did notice it too. And I don't know if it had like some
0: subliminal effect on me. I I don't know what the purpose of the nose is. It might've been. Because I don't know, I actually looked into, like, see, because I found that fascinating. I was trying to find out more about the nose, and I was going and looking at production stills of the film versus, because, like, Tom, you know, uh, uh, dudes, our ears and nose get bigger throughout our life, it seems. I don't know what it is, but, like, yeah, you just, like, whatever proportions God gave you get cartoonish as you get older. And, like, Tom's nose 20 years now is a little bit kind of uh, Mike Sullivan ish. But I had to go All back right. and look at 2003 like Tom Hanks just at award shows for versus this. And it seems like they've just slightly thickened like the bridge to suggest that maybe he got his nose broke a time or two. Huh. But I wonder okay. if clearly Tom Hanks was a little uncomfortable like he was drawn to the role because of the father son relationship. He's uncomfortable at the role with some of the language and violence. I wonder if this was like his magic feather. It's like when he looks himself in a mirror. It's like, oh yeah, this ain't Tommy no more. This right. is Mike. Mikey's Mikey's a bad man. He's like he's gonna go out there with his Tommy gun and he's <laughs> gonna rat a tat tat. I, I I wonder if it was just that. Like it, it puts a, l- a level of remove from <inaudible> himself in the in the role. And what like putting a
1: an artificial scar on him would have been too too uh sig- too much signaling that he's a bad guy.
0: I just wanted I the nose. Know. Uh speaking of character altering makeup, mm. the the only problem I have in this film is huh. how they made up Jude Law. Why and, is this a problem? Well, okay, first of all, describe what they did to him for people who haven't seen this. So so Jude Law plays like a kind of a nightcrawler type um crime scene photographer yeah. where he starts long ago before this film started starts blurring the line between you know you get the idea that maybe some, half of these fil- crime scenes he films he caused sure um and they decide to portray this character cuz so Jude Law's a, i don't know if you you know this but he's a very good looking man sure um they take his already receding hairline and they thin it so he looks like he's very he's balding yeah. Um, they f- they give him a dental appliance that makes his teeth look nubby mm-hmm. and very stained and yellow, like he doesn't take care of them. He's wearing what I could only describe as Nosferatu fingernails. Yeah, they're like clearly like press on Halloween store fingernails. They're long, they're unkempt. The cuticles yeah. are inflamed and infected. His hands dirty. are dirty and tobacco stained. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I don't understand like this is very much like my contagion problem, you know, where his he plays this comp- conspiracy theory kook, but they give him a dead tooth and fucked up teeth and uh, some, you know, they, they, they dress him all schlubby and it's like. Would this character not work better if he was more superficially like Jude Law is charming. So having be the charming psychopath, like why does he have sure. to literally be this devolved, like monstrous state? Um, I just feel like every scene that he's in would have worked better if he looked just like Jude Law. Yeah,
1: it, it must be. Yeah, I don't know. It must be obviously related to the comics and that character um in there. I haven't read the comic, but uh, I assume no, he's it's because not because of his this, char-
0: this character is invented for the screenplay he is not in the, the comic. that's what that's wow. blue two things blew my mind before you speculate yeah one uh, Jude Law hated this look <laughs> and he felt very self conscious about it and like every time sure. the like apparently uh, set report said every time the, the action was cut he had a beanie that would put on his head because he's so self conscious about how gross he looked oh
1: that's weird and, man he's an and actor and this character
0: <laughs> and this character was invented for the film, so it's like you've got this guy. You, you, I mean, why do you hire? Why? I mean, they're, they're, every once in a while, um, what's the uh, Charlize Theron? You know, she she wears sure. heavily makeup to play yeah. um, Sarah, the the monster serial character Eileen Wernos. I, I don't mind like when actors do kind of that, but like I feel like it's always with Jude Law. It's a halfway committal, you mm-hmm. know. Like nothing in his performance ever kind of changes. He doesn't like act like a super creep you know in fact he's kind of like superficially charming and some of the scenes like at the diner initially and i just feel like all that stuff would work better if he was just handsome jude law but he's also a psychopath huh. like see, i didn't
1: i didn't think his behavior in the diner was charming or charismatic at all i thought it was creepy
0: well uh, it got there okay. but that's okay. that's where it you know that that's where it 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 uh the that i think that's where it that's why it would work better if he was unhinged only in his behavior and his affect, not in yeah, his appearance. Sure. Um, yeah. People could be taken in by him initially and then turned off by him once they
1: get to know him. Uh, yeah, I, I, he's great. Like, I, I don't know what the, it does change my perspective on ju Law a little bit to know that he's so self-conscious about this because like. It, he's a very good looking man. It, you don't stay that good looking for as long as he has without being very concerned about your looks so i understand oh, you gotta work like, at it,
0: sure yeah yeah
1: he he clearly works at it but like to not i don't know i would think there would be a separation between the role uh, the character and the actor uh especially on a movie set which to hear that you yeah. know he's self-conscious
0: about it in that time and place is weird to me i just think it's it's just a weird call for like this character like Everything to be so extreme. If you want him to have, like, because he's supposed to be pale and sallow because he's always in a dark room. And if you want his hands to be, like, stained and chemical burnt because he's always dealing with harsh, like, stuff that makes sense. But, like, what about this guy that he just doesn't care about his physical appearance at all? Um, I yeah. don't know. Like, there's another, I note that they said that they wanted that Sam Mendez was concerned with, um, you know Jude Law being the primary antagonist to Tom Hanks, who he described as physically imposing. Have, there's Tom a lot Hanks? of adjectives I could describe Tom Hanks. Physically imposing is not one of it. He pulls it off in this sure. film, sure, with the help of like ginormous wool coats and big uh, hats and things like that. But like Tom Hanks is like a hulking bruiser. I yeah, I don't associate that. No. But like. I, I don't know like he wanted him to like I guess to look very feral and dangerous and and that which I don't know again I, I thought it was a bad call it's very distracting every single, every single um, frame he's in I just can't help noticing how they've hideoused up Jude Law
1: yeah I mean clearly like they're trying to do something with his profession and his looks and tying those together Um, which I guess makes a certain amount of sense and I didn't have a huge problem with it I think I think a different actor might have been more comfortable in that skin though. Although I do like his performance. Uh, Cause I, I imagine like you put these fingernails and this hair and these teeth on Brian Cranston. And he's just going to be hamming it up, offset, right? Like freaking yeah. people out, and like uh-huh, uh-huh. you know, passing people their their craft services dish with these fingernails half tucked into their biscuits or something, like <laughs> touching all the donuts. With right, this. right. Oh, like, which one am I going to eat today? <laughs> yeah, it seems a little bit kind of stick up your ass not to have some fun with this because you look so weird. Um, but his performance in this movie I thought was really good. Like the the way he comes across as trying to act. uh, You know, charismatic and suave in this diner. He's talking to this waitress, and clearly, you know, she's she's cool. Uh, He's trying to play it cool, Uh, but also he's he's almost trying to give away some hint of like I'm I'm after you in this scene to Tom Hanks, um, to to Mike. It's it's played very on the edge there, and he's played like he's hunched down. He's like physically. Kind of changing himself into this strange sort of creepy character. And I Mm. think, you know, that's what makes him such a good actor is he's he's able to, with his performance,
0: tell us so much about this weird guy. Yeah, Uh, that's uh, that's why uh, I like. Yeah, that scene where he's flirting with the waitress and she's kind of like receptive to it. Like, I think that this guy looks like such a weirdo and he probably smells like hell. And mm-hmm. like, I, I felt like that the waitress should have been a little bit more put off by him. And it's like she's yeah. playing to Jude Law, not to the character. Whereas if, if it's just Jude Law and he's a secret creep, um, it would also be, you know, because like, I think this is it's a great set. It's a great scene. It's w- well written. Uh, the set is amazing. There's a lot of tension here. Uh, the single drop of Tom Hank's swept <laughs> begins to roll down. Yeah. is like a very nice touch, but I feel like everything works better if it's just Jude Law, this polite kind of urbane, charming looking guy that you in a three minute conversation start to realize is mm-hmm. a danger to you because like, okay. you know, Mike Sullivan sees this guy sit down and I think his like radar bells almost to the point where yeah. I thought it was ridiculous that Jude Law even went into the diner
1: mm-hmm.
0: and like sat down. And it's like, are you trying to blow the job or what? You know, because everything else works great. You got the cop there, you know, like what's, you know, that's like a little pressure cooker situation. You hmm. got Tom Hanks who has left his son in the car because his son's being a little bit of a snit. So he's vulnerable because he can't just, you know, uh, worry about himself. He's got to worry about his kid and what he's out there doing. Um, it just everything is kind of let down a little bit. by Jude Law rolling in there like a huh. creepy crawly. All right. Yeah, I didn't feel that. I, I do have one
1: one complaint. We'll talk about all the stuff we love about this movie because there's a lot of it. Uh, my only real complaint about this movie is when they get to um, the part of the movie where Tom Hanks has robbed a bunch of the banks of the Capone money and he's mm-hmm. hit the dead end where Capone has taken all his money out of the banks. And so he's got to go see the accountant rants. Uh, there are a lot of coincidences here. Like uh, what is it? McGuire. Is that Jew laws character's name? Um, is yes. Staking out the hotel room of Rance and i don't know why he's doing that like he he has lost a trail of mike of mike sullivan but he
0: wait it, it, he's, isn't that huh hmm. you know i i thought that that was the same hotel they're keeping daniel craig in like that's just like Capone like one of the capone satellite operations and it just so happened that he it's kind of like the terminator is likely you know like what is mike why is mike hanging around and in hiding cuz he wants to kill daniel craig so he's watching Daniel but like well, I just realized Connor I think was that's in completely Chicago. wrong. Yeah. He's up. With, no, you're absolutely with Nitty. right. Um, you're at, but, but Nitty is in Chicago. Uh-huh. He drove all the way to Chicago. So it's like, they are in the same place, but I don't think they're in the, they're in the same building at all. I think I just completely yeah. missed that. So I, I don't think you're so. Right.
1: I, I don't know why he's taking out rants um, to catch him. And then there's this series of coincidences. And I don't know if it's played for comedy here or what, but like, you know, he walks in, Rance has been complaining about this eggs benedict or whatever the hell, this mm-hmm. this runny egg, Boiled egg this egg he runny, wants runny yeah. but isn't runny, and the the uh, hotel attendant downstairs is trying to get an order right and he's like turned around right as Hanks walks in and past him and up the stairs, and like there's just a series of coincidences that happen in that, that scenario and that mo- moment that make me go, eh I, I wish this was It's tightly scripted, but I wish it were more believable, I guess. Huh. In a movie that otherwise is almost completely grounded and believable.
0: Yeah. And I want to talk uh, more about how efficient the script is, but like, I didn't notice the leap in logic about like why all the main characters were at this particular hotel. I I thought it just made like it was kind of like um, Jude Law was there on the lookout for him trying to reacquire Daniel Craig, but. Because, like, past that, that scene is just, I think, one of the greatest scenes in the film as far as tension. Yeah, Because you got the ticker tape kicking on because, you know, the Wall Street bell is open. It's so many
1: coincidences stacked. The kid misses it because he looks down. He misses Jude Law coming in because he looks down, right, as Jude Law walks
0: past. But that's what builds the tension. And he tries to horn his dad and Jude Law's heading across with a shotgun. And, you know, like,
1: I I felt like. It does build tension, but it just felt a little too
0: cute to me a little okay. too perfectly timed okay Uh, what else do we I, I want to talk about the how great this sh- show is at setting up characters and like the first okay. 10 minutes yeah, you know yeah. you watch this kid and he's hanging out with his dad Uh, he's shopless from a guy who he knows that he's not just like some random you're not just stealing from like some random cashier at Walmart like he knows this man's name the store mm-hmm. uh They, You know, his dad sternly warns him they're going to wake. He doesn't want to see those dice. Um, The way um, that Mendez films Tom Hanks in the first um, act of the film where they make it very clear that, um, you know, Junior doesn't really know his dad. He thinks he's some kind of secret agent guy that helps this very important political figure in town, even does missions for the president. And he doesn't but does not he doesn't really know. And his younger brother kneeling him on that kind of like goads him into action but they kind of give this like the, you, you see this kid who's like you know he's a decent kid but he's kind of like going down a a yeah. certain path um and the way they set up uh you know paul newman as this kind of great figure hosting this wait for another important um and you know everything looks just so and then Siren hines gives up to give that speech and then it kind of goes sideways like oh there's trouble in paradise or some kind of you know, they introduced Daniel Craig, who's got this perpetual smirk on his face, and he's got this great line when a kid asks him, why are you smiling? He's like, because it's just so fucking hysterical, a mm-hmm. uh, little, little bit of a Joker character, um, like everything is just so effortless and so, so, so little dialogue. I read that there's only six lines of dialogue in the final 20 minutes of this film. Huh. Uh and the way they do, like with the Paul Newman character, how he's like one of those, you know, uh, Vito Corleone kind of good gangsters uh, that you, there's right. an early scene of him with his lieutenants negotiating about how they're going to handle a union strike. And he's like, you know, we, we screw these guys. We make our money off of what these guys do in their free time. We're not going to screw them at work. Yeah, like kind of like he's this principled guy, but still a murderer. You know, I I just uh-huh. thought it was it's like amazing how efficiently they set all this stage um, for sure.
1: And then they do a lot office, of um, uh, sort of sort of subtle work, too. I get the vibe coming into this wake that. This is a crime family, but the kids don't really know that, right? This this life yeah. seems normal to the kids. It's just their life. And, yeah. and, you know, they think of their dad in a certain way, but they don't really know anything about their dad. Um, It, it, it doesn't do anything specific to really set that up. It just gives you that vibe where, like, maybe a, a couple of characters are talking in a hushed tone about a thing that you don't know what it is, but you know that something is up. And the kids are, like, oblivious and ignoring it and out on the dance floor or something, right? It's yeah, it, It's just really well-constructed to, to give you a feeling of something wrong. And I think that puts you in the kid's headspace because it's all seen through the kid's lens, totally. right? Mike Sullivan yeah. Jr. is kind of the narrator and the POV of this entire movie. And that gives you the space to sort of identify with that character.
0: Yeah, I feel like a full two thirds of this film is explicitly literally the camera is this kid's POV. And that's why what you're what you're what you're trying to, uh, um, I think, put your finger on is like Sam Mendes did, did a very deliberate technique of like the first um uh, act of this film when you got the POV from the kid, like you never see Tom Hanks as an entirety. You see him through the crack of a door. You see his hand, you know, cleaning a weapon and putting it into a suitcase. You see him huh. through a slit and a crack, yeah. or see it through through the rumble seat of a car. Mm-hmm. And when his son then sees him ventilate a whole room full of people and is discovered, then you see the kids see his father in full. And from that point forward, the movie is like, like saying that like this kid doesn't know anything and he's got like all these questions about his father and they they yeah. get to know each other for the first time in this very extreme uh, circumstance. And like yeah, all great. that stuff works really well because it's all it's it's as much visual storytelling as it yeah. is, um, you know, any, anything in the script and and the stuff they do with this uh, book that the kid is
1: reading, I think is really good, too. Um, it, it's sort of like serves as a recontextualizing, uh, anchor for this kid because he's, he looks at this, this page in the book and he sees this robber in a mask, right? Doing some bad deed. And when he tells his brother about the missions that his father goes on, he's presuming, I think that
0: his father goes on missions to stop these guys. Yeah. Guys with guns aren't necessarily bad. No, uh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Lone Ranger, Lone Ranger's a good guy. His dad's a war hero, right?
1: You got to fight the guys with guns with your own guns, right? Um, And so he thinks his dad is this good guy out hunting these robbers. Now, over Mm -hmm. the course of the movie, he recontextualizes that. And every time he looks at this book and this particular page that he flips to with his image on it, he's got to rethink his assessment of where his dad is or or how this image lines up with his father. Is his father the robber? Is his father the cop trying to catch the robber? Uh, Is his father neither of those? And is just his father Uh, by the end of the movie? I think that's where, the kid lands you know he can't judge his father too
0: much um he's mm-hmm. seen the good and the bad so since this is the first time you saw this film, did the twists work because i remember um again i was pretty naive when i watched this but being like blown away that daniel craig uh had like double crossed had the temerity because like you know I, I i took things a lot more at their face value back then so when i got the head of the crime boss saying you know, he wants this done a certain way and he wants this to happen. I'd like, well, it's just no way. Daniel Craig is going to like brook him, You know, I, I hadn't, I hadn't seen like uh, a million other films since then, including John Wick, where that's just a stock and trade, the, you know, sure. the, the younger yeah. hot headed. he didn't earn the position. He's just, it's yeah. Problem. Yeah. Problem with any kind of hereditary leadership system. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that scene at the speakeasy, was that actually, cause like when I watched it back, I don't know if it, cause I knew I it was coming um, but, like, it seemed very belabored. Like, this is such an efficient script, but they stay on this, like, guy reading this note and, you know, the fact that Daniel Craig came up and said, oh, yeah, there's this last-minute collection you need to make at this particular guy who's known to be trouble, and, uh, like, it seemed like there was, like, almost neon lights, like, you know, Mike Sullivan, you're huh. about to be betrayed, and it wasn't nearly as shocking, you know, Tom Hanks whipping that gun out and blowing two guys' brains out. Did it, did it work or it worked for me? Yeah, I I didn't really okay. see that that uh, eventuality coming. I did see the Jew law showing up at the end to kill Mike coming a mile away. Boy, that's a that's another one that killed me because I thought when I first saw this movie. These are the way these movies go. It looks bad. You know, uh, there's a lot of danger. But, you know, Tom Hanks is gonna this guy are going to this. This kid are going to be OK. They've they've won. They they did everything, and when when his when Tom <laughs> yeah. Hanks comes back, there's this great scene of the kid like in his hotel room, sitting on the edge of the bed, waiting, and mm-hmm. like uh, you know, you hear these steps coming up, coming up, and you can tell the kid's like scared to death. Like, is my dad going to come back, or is this, you know, has he has he been killed? And these are the guys, and it's his father, of course. And they hug, and then they go to the lake house, and. I remember just being completely shocked when you know the blood just erupts from Tom Hanks' uh, huh. chest, looking at that window. Yeah, yeah. Now,
1: now that you mention it, I should have seen the the note thing coming. Like every time, because I see this in Italian gangster movies all the time. You know, hey, we got a a, a surprise
0: meeting. We need you to come out here. We're gonna we're gonna yeah. make you. We a got shot for mattresses. You know? We got shot for mattresses, Paulie. We got to yeah. we're uh-huh.
1: we're gonna we're gonna make you. It's yeah, it's finally yeah, yeah. happened. You've earned it. Here, come on out to this location. Then you get your head blown off. Uh,
0: yeah, it's it, now that you mentioned. It, I should have seen that coming, but I did not. The other thing I love about anytime Tom Hanks is in a movie. We talked about this in Catch Me If You Can. We're doing a little bit of a Tom Hanks uh, oh, yeah. uh, series here. Uh, but like, he's very funny. Yeah. And a lot of this stuff with his son, like his son negotiating for his crime pay <laughs> and like him leaping at the first offer. And he's like, could I add more? He's like, you'll never you'll never know. Yeah. <laughs> and like uh, teaching him how to drive. And like the him being his getaway driver is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Like him, like trying to and, and Tom Hanks, like deadpanning. Hey, you know, there's no rush here. Just robbing a bank. <laughs> uh, right. I thought was just 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 really funny. Yeah. Um and then there's he's also able to carry these poignant scenes like uh you know like late in the movie they're finally talking they're at this elderly couple's house um which is a little bit neat too now that I think about it like apparently this old man knows how to pull a bullet and I don't know he's a veterinarian he's like a, a a Herschel type from The Walking Dead he can he can patch you up but mm-hmm. don't ask too many questions I did think. I did think what are the odds that Al Capone comes and ventilates his whole family when he finds <laughs> out like you know it's like ah oh, there's this there's this uh, old farmer on the, in the suburbs suddenly they got Tonia you know, they're losing their house in the great depression suddenly they're flashing out with paint and he's got a new Studebaker and uh, right. I I don't know but, but like uh they have this conversation about like did you like Peter you know there's this um, and this this poor fucking kid so traumatized he goes from being extremely sheltered to seeing his dad whack a whole room full of gangsters to Mm -hmm. seeing his mom and his younger brother get killed in their house and he's like did you like Peter more than me and Tom Hanks explaining that like no it's just that like I never worried about Peter because he was a certain type of kid and you were like me Mm -hmm. which and I you know like I said we we talked about like whether this kid was good bad what I think he's just he's just a kid actor but like the There's something there that kind of like pride and kind of relief. And, you know, that like, oh, the reason that this dad was always hard on me is because he uh, was afraid that I'd end up just like him. And his kind of realized without like Tom, I think he never articulates this. But like, you know, by the end of the movie, he's narrating that like my father's. bit the only thing my father is afraid of is that I would walk down the same road to perdition, you Mm -hmm. know. That that he did, uh, and I like I said, I I thought all that father son stuff really hit hit me in the heart. Uh, yeah, there's a
1: little bit um of a thematic tie-in with the families here, right? And the the kids and the fathers and the sons, um, because Connor mm-hmm. is also in that scenario of being the uh, of being one of two children, um, uh, one, you know, he's the only like biological child of Rooney, um, but mm-hmm. Tom Hanks is like a adopted child of Rooney and so there's this competition between them and you can feel that tension throughout the movie right Connor is definitely jealous of the relationship that Mike has with his father uh, and I think that's what causes him to actually go and kill his family is not necessarily oh, yeah. the oh hey this kid's gonna talk and we gotta silence his family but he, there's jealousy there for sure um, obviously yeah and and it, <laughs> It's tough because, like, Peter isn't a fuck-up, right? He's probably too young to be a fuck-up yet. But uh, you get the impression that Connor is a fuck-up in a lot of ways, right? He's a hothead. He's stealing from from his father and from the organization, mm-hmm. uh, whereas Mike is kind of the model son here uh, following in the footsteps of, of Rooney. And and there's, there's a thematic thing they're doing there that I can't quite put words to, but that works
0: really well. I think it's, yeah, it works. It's got such a great redistribution of like narrative energy because like, Tom Hanks and his son the fear is that oh god this boy is going to turn out just like me. Mm-hmm. With Paul Newman and Daniel Craig it's oh god this son is nothing like me, <laughs> but he has to be. Sure. And then there's yeah. the, you know, also the the real brutal like th- you know third act betrayal is the fact that like Paul Newman knows that his son is yeah. doing this and betraying him and he knows that Michael is the better son, but he's not his real son and he's going to back He's going back his blood. Yeah. Uh, and like that, just kind of like cold evaluation of like where Mike stands in the world. Um, I thought was like, it's, 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 it's a great, it's, it's just like interesting kind of interlocking story about like fathers and sons and, you know, intergenerational conflict and like how each relationship's kind of a mirror and like, but an inverted mirror of each other, I thought was just really good. And like you said, I, I didn't, I didn't even get this, but yeah, Uh, Because I thought it's like, well, this is just Daniel Craig's character being a fuck up. But like, you're right. I think he forced the situation of killing that, uh, killing Mike's family just to get just to get revenge over him, and probably forced his father in a situation that excuse of we gotta we gotta silence this kid, right? Right. And I knew you wouldn't go along with the dad because you're too soft and like and and forcing this conflict with with Mike so that his father would have to disown him and do all that kind of stuff and. But he's also just deeply stupid. Like you can tell like when he's, he's delivering <laughs> yeah. these threats to to Stanley Tucci, you know, he's like, hey, my father's old and I'm going to be the man. And like Tucci looks at him is like, I'm Al Capone's like right hand man. And you're a fucking your dad is like a couple rungs below me. I'm doing this as a favor. And you're in here acting like you're going to. And and the only thing keeping Connor alive at this point
1: is his father being alive. Right. The, the future <laughs> yeah. is dead once he's dead.
0: They're going to kill right. So, but he doesn't think that he thinks right. like this is, this is entitled John Wick that, you know, this is Dion yeah. Greyjoy thinking that he's the greatest because he was he's yeah. born on third base that he hit a triple and is ready to slide into home. Doesn't yeah. see that the second his father dies, mm-hmm. the first de- business decision he makes is going to royally piss off everyone in chain of command. He's going to get rubbed out. Oh, I,
1: I think they're waiting. I don't think he has to make any decisions. I think as soon as the father is dead, the son is dead here. Um, he's been stealing yeah. from the
0: organization, and they know it, right? So, they, yeah, they, they, yeah, they, they'll quickly figure that out. What? Yeah. yeah so I mean, you, oh, the, the okay. records he takes from the accountant. I right? thought his father was successfully protecting him. Oh. Because his father I mean, knew, but right. like, those okay. look like legit, those look like legit transfers from like his lieutenants into his account, but they're going to his son and like, that would like, why? I don't, I don't think they're stealing for Capone gotcha. stealing from, but like, obviously when his dad dies, he's not going to be, uh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But I mean, don't he's, know. He's going to be again like, soon. That's the thing is like, this film doesn't really hold your hand and a lot of you just have to like, uh-huh. y- you have to kind of remember that Seer and Han's name was like this uh, when you recognize it on the deposit slips because mike just puts two and two together and the film trust you're going to do it too uh-huh um, <laughs> which, which I i didn't you know
1: completely so
0: okay but you got i mean you you got you got i think enough to to understand um and sure. again i've seen it a couple times so yeah uh there's a great man i paul newman is such a monster uh, dude yeah that scene where he like hammer punches mm-hmm. like, like James T Kirk versus the Gordon <laughs> yeah. style hammer punches, Daniel Craig to the ground. And it's like, I curse, I curse like, the day. Yeah. I, this, the like you can see this coming out of like speaking of Star Trek, Bill Shatner's mouth. And it's just oh, like man. scenery chewing. Yeah. But it feels so fucking organic when he's just like this father exasperated. Like, especially since later on, you realize that he knows the whole time his son's betraying him. Yeah um and like this like is extra like you know it's like god you know you stole from me and you did this and you did that and i overlooked that but now look what you've done mm-hmm. um this actually is a lot reminiscent of john wick you know uh the the the, the father figure and the betrayal and the famed sure. mercenary and the Ian but yeah like stuff, him yeah. him just beating daniel craig down to the to the ground and daniel craig cringing like a dog like that was a great scene And the
1: other scene Uh, I really love with Paul Newman uh, and his performance is the apology scene where he's got all his lieutenants or whatever uh, around this table. And Daniel Craig comes in after, you know, shooting Finn um, and and has to apologize. He does this half assed apology. And Paul Newman says, no, try it again. Does a half assed again. He slams the table and says, Apologize. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he gets up all sheepishly. It, it's a great scene. And then the performance there is just perfect.
0: And like I said, it's just a, it's a gut punch there in the basement of the church where like, yeah, you know, Mike comes to the old man thinking that he's going to like an old man. The scales are going to fall from his eyes like, oh, my God, I've been duped this whole time. And then he finds out. No, I knew that all along and I've already made the decision. I'm backing my boy over you. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I. it's. uh. And then the good. guy is cast from there. <laughs> it's funny because like the, these, uh, that, that's, that's why I thought was so interesting about the cinematographer, um, Conrad Hall. This was both of their last, I, I think, um, uh, Paul Newman went on to, of course, do voice acting. He was, uh, the, the old, um, old racing car and, and the movie cars, the Pixar uh-huh. movie cars. He, uh, I think voiced Magnificent Desolation, the the Tom Hanks uh, like Moon Moon, uh, uh, Max oh. kind of documentary. Um, hmm. He did a lot of voiceover work, but this is kind of his last feature film on screen performance, and it was the last thing that Conrad Hall shot. And they got their start together. Well, I think obviously Newman had been other stuff, but like Cool Hand Luke, you know, <laughs> okay, had this, yeah. like lifetime of working together in this final project. Uh, oh, I thought cool. that was neat little bookend. We'll have to do some
1: more Paul Newman movies because he's got a lot of stuff that I like. We get we gotta we gotta definitely talk about the
0: verdict at some point uh, here on verdict. Have you seen Cool Hand Luke? Uh huh. Yeah, it's good. Okay, because really like yeah, he's there's a lot and I, there's a whole bunch of his catalog that I have not seen. Yeah, me too. Um, like you know until you made me watch uh, uh, what's that movie about? the pool? Oh, the hustler. Yeah. The hustler. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, a great movie. Yep. Yeah, butch Cassidy and sundance kid never you know yeah the sting i mean holy shit he's in so
1: many good movies uh Slapshot is a great one that we'll probably never cover because it's mostly a comedy mm-hmm. uh but yeah I, I like paul newman's catalog yeah
0: controversial opinion I know. paul <laughs> newman pretty good actor <laughs> pretty good Christ, seem, see, seem, seemingly seemingly great guy yeah yeah <laughs> had, had a couple had a couple goodies in you his know career. What? i like his salsa too I like his dressings. They're pretty good. All right, yeah. Newman's own. Uh you got anything else to say about uh Road to Perdition? I don't think so. It's good. Yeah. It's good. If you haven't seen it,
1: give it a shot. It's under two hours. Uh it feels pretty breezy. It, it it occasionally gives you like exactly what you want. I was worried that this was gonna just be some meditation on I don't know, the 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 life of a, a gangster as relates to his son just entirely and there was not going to be any action but once they started robbing the banks i was like fuck yeah i'm in Mm -hmm. uh it it gave me a lot of things i didn't i didn't think the movie was going to give me um so yeah check it out
0: yeah it really threads that needle between being like thoughtful and Uh um deliberative but also have that punctuation of like action and comedy but without it becoming like plotting or slow for sure um So I think it's great, especially it's if, you know, uh, it's it's one of those not Italian mafia gangster movies uh, Mm -hmm. that are kind of few and far between. Uh, So it's a a different flavor of gangster film. And I, yeah, I enjoyed revisiting it. It's a good film. So that's that's our uh, thoughts on Road to Perdition. Please stay tuned. We I'm sure we'll have we're, we're recording this one in advance. We're, we're trying to get ahead of the prestige schedule and we're having a couple of films that are like kind of, you know, timeless. We can release them at any time we want um, in case we have a gap in a schedule. So I have no idea what's going to be happening next week, uh, but there will be something in the prestige feed that will be prestigious, It'll be a movie or a television, uh, and you'll catch us there. Until then, I'm your host, Aaron, and I'm Jim.
1: See ya.